realize in this message is about that, that we need to understand that our days are limited. We only have so many days on this earth. And as I mentioned to you the other day, I'm kind of committed that I want to kind of skate across the line into heaven, you know, where hair's on fire and everything. And it's because we worked so hard to achieve what God wanted to achieve. And what I understand is we're seeing God do that. What we were able to experience this last year as a church family is we made a real impact in our community. But I want to tell you something. That's the tip of the iceberg of what God wants to do. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, that was really cool, but he didn't stop there, did he? When we gave out those backpacks, when we've done the different events that we've done, those are all great, and I love that. But that's just part of what we do. We're called to reach, reach everyone in our community, but we're also called, called to make disciples. And I am more excited, and I'm, I mean this, I am more excited and more encouraged about what God's doing right now in our church body because I see leaders rising up. And I see new people coming in and people getting plugged in and beginning to take their place in the body of Christ. And I want to tell you, Bonnie's, Bonnie's diagram here is absolutely correct. Our job is to help you become the best you that you can be. To be the person that God's called you and created you to be. And when that happens, the natural outflow of that is you're going to reach out to people around you. See, here, here's the deal. Just like with the tollers, God didn't want their money. He wanted their heart. He wanted their obedience. And when we give God our obedience, when we jump what I call all in, when we're all in, God begins to use us and do amazing things in our lives. But if we're lukewarm, if we're halfway, we're never going to accomplish anything for God and wonder why we don't experience him in our lives. So I encourage you to get all in. Get all in with God. Amen? All right, well, if you've got your Bibles, hold them up this morning. Repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's Word. It's His truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, you guys sound great. Well, I know a lot of you are looking up here and going, why did he halfway shave? Um, it was so funny. I, I walked out of the restroom on Friday, and I, I had done this, you know, and I walked out, and Trish goes, did you mess up? Or <laughs> She really did. Sincerely, she goes, did you, did, that, did you mean to do that? And, and it was kind of funny. I, I thought I'd just give my lip a break, you know, so I, I, I started shaving and everything, and, and I looked, and, and it was funny. When I began to shave, I looked over and saw the scar from my, you know, experience at Donnie's. And, and it was so funny. For those of you that don't know, I have an aversion. I'm fearfully scared of binoculars. Um, some people are scared of lions. Some people are scared of bears. Show me a pair of binoculars and ah, freak out, you know. Uh, I'll tell you the story sometime if you don't know it. But, but it was interesting as I was preparing this sermon and I looked over and we're going to talk today about things that happen to us in life and how we respond to those things. And I want you to understand something. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems. You're going to have pain. And, and he said he would be with us. But sometimes the experiences that we encounter leave scars on us. It happens. Sometimes the things happen to us leave scars. Some of us that led a little crazy life, I'm not going to mention any names, Raymond. But, <laughs> you know, some of us are more beat up and scarred up than others. I mean, my dad looks like a walking zipper. He's got stuff all over him. You know, and, and I looked at this lip, and, and I realized I remembered what I had done. 
And I relive the experience of the binoculars all over again. And, and any time I look on my body and I see these different football scars and these different things, I remember what happened at that moment. And I relive it. Well, some of us have scars that are visible. Almost all of us have scars that are invisible. Things that have happened to us and struggles and, and challenges that we've encountered that have scarred our heart and have scarred us emotionally on the inside. And, and I want you to understand something. When Jesus said, I came to set the captives free, I came to heal the brokenhearted, that doesn't just mean your physical body, and, and I believe many times he does heal our physical body, but that also means your emotional, your insides. God can heal you on the inside too. I know some people that have gone through some horrible experiences in their life emotionally, abuse and neglect and different things, and you would never know it. Trish is one of those people. That, that has gone through stuff that I can't even imagine. And yet God, over time, restores those people and makes them who he wants them to be. So if you're here today and you've struggled, you are struggling, or you know somebody that, that's struggling, this message is for you. Amen? Well, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. It'll also be on the screen. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture today and uh, applying God's Word for how we struggle well. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, this has been our theme for the series, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, Lord, help me to realize that I'm not going to live forever. Help me to understand that my days are limited and help me to live each day with that in mind. Because I want to tell you something, folks. If you will live with the fact that you're not going to be here forever, if you knew you only had 30 days to live, you would change some things. You would. You would change some things. Some of the petty things in your life that you are so upset about wouldn't mean anything to you anymore. Matter of fact, they'd be a joke to you. Some of the hurts and some of the different things that you've experienced from people wouldn't mean a whole lot. And you would spend time with God because if you've only got 30 days to live, you better know him because you're about to meet him. <laughs> You also better spend some time with your family. You also better spend some time with your friends. You also need to see what are you going to leave behind. When you're gone, what's the legacy that you've left behind? Are you living like no one else so that you can live like no one else? John 16, verse 32 through 33 says this. Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He said, these things that I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, not might, not could. You shall have tribulation, but I love this. But Jesus follows it up, says, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. 2 Timothy 4, 7 in the New Living Translation says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. So what happens when things go wrong? What happens, as my dad says, when the wheels run off everything? What happens when you get that phone call in the middle of the night and you've dreaded it? What happens when you're laid off at work? What happens when that person you've been married to leaves? What happens when bad stuff happens? Because we've all experienced things like that. How do you respond? What goes on? More importantly, how do you deal with it? How do you get victory? over these situations. The Bible talks about this a lot. You know, I know a typical response is, and we're going to talk about this today, is when challenges come, not if, 
but when. And you need to understand that you are going to have some challenges in your life. Well, I can tell you there's a couple things that definitely happen whenever one of these Goliaths shows up. I mean, you've ever walked out and, and all of a sudden the IRS is on your front porch? That's Goliath. <laughs> or, or you walked out and, and you turn the corner and here comes a train and there, that's a lion. I mean, it's one of these circumstances that, you know, you didn't want to encounter, but there it is. And now you're going to have to deal with it. And here's the deal about giants like Goliath and lions like the one Benaiah faced and, and bears like the ones David faced. They didn't ask necessarily to encounter those situations. But you know what? You don't negotiate with them. You don't negotiate with a lion. Now listen, Mr. Lion, I know I look plump and juicy, but uh, uh, let's not eat me, you know? I mean, that doesn't work. When you're in situations like that, somebody's going to die. <laughs> and, and you need to understand when you're in these situations, what are the tools that you need? But the first thing that happens when you run into Goliath, when you run into a lion, when you run into one of these situations, anybody want to guess what the first experience is you have? Fear. Fear. Fear is a very real thing. Fear is real. And, and usually almost any time something happens in your life that's bad, the first response is fear. And I want you to understand, spiritually, fear is the opposite of faith. 1 John 4, chapter, or verse 18 says this, and this is in the King James Version. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. But listen to this part. Because fear has what? Torment. Fear has torment. Nobody ever says, I'm so glad and happy I'm fearful. I'm so glad I'm scared all the time. It's just great. Fear is not a pleasant thing. Fear is not something you want to live in. And yet there are some people in the room today that live in a state of fear. Fear has overwhelmed you. Fear is there all the time. You go to bed at night and you're in fear. You wake up in the morning and you're in fear. And I want you to understand, understand something. Fear is the opposite of faith. In other words, fear is having faith in the wrong thing. And so as a believer, as a Christian, we have to understand that we are not to have fear. Jesus said, fear not. Fear not. And I want you to understand, folks, some of the things that I'm telling you today, some of you are in a good place right now, but sooner or later you're going to encounter something, and if you'll take these tools and use them, if you'll apply them, they're going to help you. But you need to understand, many times the first thing that happens when Goliath shows up your door is fear. You know, as a pilot, when I was training how to fly airplanes, they literally taught us how to cope with fear. My instructor sat down with me and talked to me about how to cope with fear. He knew I was going to encounter some situations when I was flying that airplane. And I want to tell you something. When you're at 4,000 feet, being scared is not a good idea. Because people make really, really bad mistakes when they're scared. Have you ever noticed that? The word terror and fear kind of work together. Have you ever been terrified of something? <laughs> I had a friend, um, we, uh, when I was at KCM, I told you guys about the, the taser thing. You know, we all got tested with tasers and those of us that wanted to carry them. And, and, and he was sitting there one day and, and they came up behind him and, and they were testing him with the taser thing and they were just talking to him and they said, taser, taser, taser. And that thing went off. He got so scared, he jumped straight up and took off running and ran like a half mile. He was absolutely terrified. And he just jumped up. It was Jay. You remember that? He just jumped up and took off. Woo! And he was gone. 
you know, terror embraced him. But I want you to understand something. There is never a good result from terror. People make really bad mistakes. I'll tell you uh, an illustration that happened to me that I saw. Uh, I have a, an uncle that was a PRCA roper. He was a professional roper, and I was visiting with him for a week one summer. And there, we were up at the veterinarian's office doing something with one of his horses. Another trailer pulled up, and there was this big quarter horse in the back of the trailer. This horse was going crazy in the trailer. Now, the reality is they were bringing the horse to the vet because the, the horse was sick, and the vet was going to treat the horse. All the horse knew was he was in a trailer and he was scared to death. He didn't realize that if he calmed down, he was going to get the help that he needed. So he went nuts in this trailer. I've never seen anything like this before, by the way. They let him out. They've got him haltered. They let him out. This horse is going crazy. Horse broke his leg. I'm watching this. My uncle's standing next to me. He said, Chris, watch this. It was God. He said, Chris, watch this. You need to see this. And because the horse was terrified, because he didn't understand what was going on, and he responded incorrectly, he broke his leg, and they had to put him down. And I had to watch that. And it made such an impact to this day. I remember where we were. I remember the color of the horse, a big bay horse. I can tell you all those things that made such an impact on me. And I thought if the horse understood that he was here to get help, he wouldn't act like that. But he has unfounded fear. He's terrified. And because he's terrified, he made bad decisions and it killed him. Many times in our life, when things happen to us, if we don't respond in faith, if we respond in fear, we are terrified and we make bad decisions. And when you come to yourself, you're five miles down the road in a ditch somewhere in trouble. The first thing we encounter many times is fear. The second thing that we encounter after fear when these giants come into our life is dread. Dread. Let me tell you what dread is. Dread is worrying about tomorrow or worrying about a future event. And it's a cousin of fear. They kind of work together. But here's the problem with dread. Dread steals your todays. Dread steals the joy of today. If you're worried about what's going to happen in three weeks, and that's all you think about, this is coming up, this is coming up, this is coming up, you have lost the time period between now and the event. And here's what I've discovered in my own life as a Christian. A lot of times the things that I dread never come to pass. They never happen. Never happened. Or I show up and God works it out amazingly. How about that? God works the situation out, but I look back and I was in dread for the two weeks leading up to the event and I lost two weeks because I was scared about something that never materialized. I had faith in the wrong thing instead of trusting God. Think about that. I know two people recently that have had surgery. One of them is going through cancer treatments. And, and when he found out he had this stage 4 cancer, he's a dear friend, he's a friend of Trish and I's. When he found out he had stage 4 cancer, he decided to Google it and find out all the information he could about it. <laughs> two of the friends that I know did this. And, and, but this one guy, he had cancer. And so he decided he typed in the cancer mesothelioma or whatever it was he had. And he typed it in there, and it scared him to death. He said, I was okay until I saw what they said on the Internet. <laughs> and all these people and the horrible things and the this, that, and the other thing. And what happened is he began to dread his treatments. He began to dread what was coming up. 
And he had to overcome that dread. He, he said, what I realized is it was stealing my happiness. It was stealing my tomorrows. It was stealing my todays. And I was just scared all the time. And he said, and I began to realize that's not what God wanted for me. Here's the third thing that we deal with when we face these giants in our life. Dread, I'm sorry, doubt. Doubt. So you're scared, you're in fear, now you're, you're dreading everything, you're dreading tomorrow, and then you doubt. And doubt brings condemnation. Doubt brings condemnation. Whenever you get into these situations, then you begin to say, God, what did I do wrong? God, am I being punished for something that I did? God, is this my fault? God, you know, do I deserve this? And it brings condemnation to you, and now you're walking around condemned, and that's exactly where the devil wants to keep you. Because some people eventually that walk in condemn condemnation feel like they deserve what's happened to them. I want to tell you something. I wanted to dispel this myth right now. You may have done some stupid things in your life. We all have. I'm right up there with you. But I'll tell you what I've learned. God is a God of mercy and grace, and he loves you. And all those songs we sang today, when we go through the storms and we go through the valleys and we go through the challenges that we go through, he is there with you. And even the stupid things that you've done to yourself, he is God. And he will help you. And there's no condemnation in love. He loves you. And he's a good father. And he doesn't hold what you did against you. Jesus, as a matter of fact, he loves you so much, Jesus died so that you don't have to live with that condemnation. That is not yours. That does not belong to you. So we have to throw doubt out. So how do we face, how do we live in the face of struggles? I mean, how do we deal with it? The situation is upon us. Here we are. You say, Pastor Chris, I understand what you're saying. I'm experiencing all those or some of those right now, or I have, or you will. So what do I do? What's my checklist? Well, you know I believe the Bible is very practical. So I'm going to give you a checklist of things. And you need to keep this somewhere. So when these challenges come, you need to pull these notes out and say, here's my checklist. This is what God wants me to do. Okay, are you ready? Here's what we do. The first thing that we do is understand that the Word of God is our cure. The Word of God is our cure. In other words, what does God say about the situation that I'm in? Proverbs 4, chapter, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 through 22 says this, New Living Translation. My child, pay attention to what I say. Anybody ever said that to my kid, your kids? <laughs> Pay attention to what I say. Now I want you to understand something. This is God talking to you because you're his child. And God is saying, pay attention to what I say. When God says something like that, what do you think you should do? Pay attention to what he says, okay? So here we go. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. The word of God is your cure. What God says supersedes anything else that goes on in your life. What God says supersedes what the doctor says. 
What God says supersedes any of the challenges in your life. Why? Because God owns everything, and God makes the decisions about everything. And when God says he's going to do something, he does it every single time. Every time. So whatever situation, whatever challenge you're facing, and this is what it's going to require you to do. The reason you need to be in your Bible every day is so that when you face these challenges, you can open this thing up and say, I need to find some scripture that relates to the situation that I'm in. And you need to write that down. And when those thoughts come up or when those giants begin to rise up against you, what you need to say is the word of God says. Why is that important? Because that's what Jesus did. When Jesus encountered situations, what Jesus did, Jesus said, the word of God says this. And that was it for him. And no matter what situation you're facing right now, there are promises in this word for you. But you need to find them. You need to find them. And there is something about when God gives you a word. There is something about that. Something that you can hold on to. It's kind of like that that life preserver that's thrown out in the middle of the lake when those things, when everything's bad, and all of a sudden there's the word and you reach out and take it and you realize that God is always going to be faithful. No matter what, he is always going to be faithful. My flight instructor, when I was learning to fly, I was scared a lot when I flew, so that's why this helps me. (laughs) My flight instructor was from Switzerland. He had this really cool German-Swiss accent. Chris, how are you doing? You know, I mean, he, he was really cool to talk to. He's a little bitty fella. And, and, and it was so interesting. Mark would teach me how to not be scared in the cockpit and teach me how to fly the airplane. And, and it was interesting. To this day, to this day, when I fly an airplane, I can hear Mark's voice in my head. Gospel truth. And when I would encounter a situation, because he trained me that no matter what situation I encountered when I was flying, there was a solution. And I could hear his voice. I want to tell you something. I was in some scary situations. I remember one time I flew to South Texas to go get my sister-in-law. And we flew down there, and a storm front had blown in that wasn't predicted to happen. It's one of those unpredicted things that happens in life, you know. We weren't planning on having a bad day, but here the bad day was. And, and this storm had blew in, and what had happened is it was a low-lying cloud front that was like 1,000 feet off the ground. And it was solid for as far as you could see. Well, I had been trained that whenever you run into a situation like that, you turn around and you find the nearest airport and you land. And I had my sister-in-law with me, and I had not been a pilot very long, and and I had to descend through that cloud bank. I want you to understand something. I'm a pilot that is, there's two types of pilots. There's VFR pilots, which means visual flight rules. Another acronym says visually follows roads. (laughs) You fly where you can see the highway. I'm just kidding, but that's kind of true. Uh, but, and then there's IFR pilots, and those are pilots that are rated to fly with instruments. Well, every pilot gets instrument training to a small degree. So I knew, basically, how to fly some things with instruments, okay? I knew some basic instrument flying. But when I descended into that cloud, I couldn't see past the window. I remember, now, but here's what was interesting. As I began to descend through that cloud, I realized on the radio that the airport was about five miles over here. And if I descended through the clouds at this point, I would pop out and I would be in the pattern where I could fly down and land the airplane and be safe. But if I was wrong, I was going to (laughs) die. 
this was serious. <laughs> okay? And so I began to descend down in this cloud. My sister-in-law's with me, and she's just happy as a lark. This is cool. Blah, blah. And I'm thinking, oh, we could die. <laughs> But to this day, you can ask her, and she said, you look so calm, and I was talking to her. What I did is I talked her through what I was doing. And as I talked her through what I was doing, I was talking to myself. And as I descended into that cloud bank, Mark's voice came into my head. Don't look outside the cockpit. Fly the, fly the airplane. Keep your wings level. Drop your nose 10 degrees. I could literally hear him, and I was doing it. And for one second, I said, I'm going to give myself a second to glance outside. Because the reason you don't do that is when you begin to look outside and don't trust your instruments, you fly into the ground. And I, I looked outside, and I could see about this far on my wing. And I looked immediately back in and flew the airplane. And I popped out, and cows looked like they were the size of German shepherds. I was so low. I mean, I was low. And I popped out right in the pattern and went down and landed that airplane. She thought I was a genius. <laughs> I got out of the airplane. Thank you, Jesus. I thought I was going to die, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love your airplane. You know, I mean, I was... But what I did is I listened to my instructor. When you go through situations, you listen to the instructor. What does God say to do? Because if you try to fly yourself by how you feel, you're going to run into the ground every time. You don't look at what the world says. You don't look at your situation. You don't look at the clouds. You look at your instruments. You look at your guiding light. You look at what God says. And then you do what God says because God does not lie. Here's the second thing that you need to do. When you face these situations, take no thought for tomorrow. Take no thought for tomorrow. This is how you deal with dread. This is how you deal with dread. Again, this is, this is Jesus talking. Matthew 6, verse 34 says this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> now, why would Jesus talk about these things? Because he knew we were going to do it. You can spend, and you know people like this, who are so worried about tomorrow all the time, they never live today. And they look back, and one year, five years, ten years, twenty years has gone by, and they've never enjoyed life because they're worried all the time about what's going to happen tomorrow. And they've lost their todays. And Jesus, Jesus said to us, don't do that. Focus on today. Live today. Hug your kids now. Work hard now. Don't be constantly thinking, well, when my big paycheck comes in, live today. Don't be so concerned about five years down the road. I'm not saying we shouldn't plan. I'm a business guy. I understand that. You need to plan. That's smart. That's biblical. But Jesus also said, don't live in tomorrow. Live today. Because when you don't do that, you don't see what's going on around you. And you literally miss life. You literally miss life. So take no thought for tomorrow. Number three, when you're going through challenges, when you're facing giants, here's what you need to do. Number three, surround yourself with family and friends. Surround yourself with family and friends. None of us were meant to struggle alone. And I want to tell you, it's especially hard for guys. 
Type A personality, guys. If you're a leader, you've been trained that to lead is to be alone. That's how I was taught. You're in charge. You're at the top of the food chain. You are alone. And to a degree, you are. But I want to tell you something. If you're alone for real long, you're going to get shot to pieces. You need to surround yourself with people, a handful of people that you trust and people that are there for you. And when you struggle, you do not struggle alone. This is not, your life is not an individual sport. Your life is a team sport. We are the body of Christ. We are not the thumb. (laughs) In Texas, this is the thumb. We're not the thumb of Christ. We're the body of Christ. What do I mean by that? Why did Jesus talk about it? Why did Paul talk? I mean, see, you got to understand, this is all in the Scripture. When one of us suffers, we all suffer. When one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. And I want to tell you something. I have learned that if I'm struggling with something, to let some people that I love and care about and I trust help me carry the burden. And when you do that, it becomes light. And some of you out there right now have bought into the lie that you have to do it all by yourself, and it's eating your lunch. And the reason that it's eating your lunch is it's not supposed to be that way. You need to find some people to help you carry the load. Amen? That's what the Word says. That's what the Word says. Number four, I'll be closing here shortly, at least by 3 (laughs) o'clock. This is just too important. Number four, be a good soldier. Be a good soldier. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 4 says this in the New King James Version. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. When I volunteered to be in the guard, when I volunteered to be an officer candidate, I signed a contract with the Army for eight years. What I understand now, and I understood then to a degree, but what I understand now is when you do that, what you're doing is you're writing the United States a blank check that says, up to and including my life. Up to and including my life. And I remember signing the documents and, and And, of course, they were always trying to recruit combat officers, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to jump out of airplanes and and be in tanks. I wanted to be out in the front. But what I began to understand is there might have come a day that they would have called me to give my life for my country. And I want you to understand something. Being saved, receiving salvation is the easiest thing in the world, but walking that salvation out will cost you everything. And if you want to be the person that God's called you to be, we, we sing that song, I'm in the army of the Lord. You know that song? We really are. And we serve at the request and at the bequest of God. And he may send us into challenges and situations sometimes where he needs us to be good soldiers. And sometimes we may have scars because we're going to have tribulation. But I want you to understand something. You are safer on the front lines of the battleground with God than you are back in a house somewhere on a couch being a couch potato. Why? Because God's with you if he's called you to be there. And you want to be wherever he's called you to be. So be a good soldier and realize that sometimes when you're going through these things, it's going to be tough. 
but you need to understand that God is with you. And that's the joy of it. You know, as a young man, when I was saved at 16, I remember praying a couple of things. The first thing I prayed, this was at 16 years old. The first thing I prayed was, God, I want to be on the tip of the spear that you jab in Satan's guts. Truth. God, I want to be on the tip of the spear that you jab in Satan's guts. I want to be on the front line. Doesn't that excite y'all that you have a pastor that wants to do that? <laughs> that means, guess what? You're going too. <laughs> but that's what, that's, that's what I'm called to do. I, I want to make a difference. You want to make a difference. There are many of you out there who say, I want to make a difference. And I want to tell you something. That's what God needs. He's looking for people that are willing to step out in faith. Not perfect. You're never going to be perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. But he's looking for people that are willing to say, you know what, God, I'm all in. Use me. What do you want to do? And when you do that, you experience God like you've never experienced him before. Serve as a good soldier. And this is my last point. And it's the most important one. You have to submit. You have to surrender to God. You have to surrender to God. James 4, verse 7 says this. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Do you see the order? The first thing you have to do is submit to God. Then you resist the devil, and then he flees. That's the way that works. And why does that work that way? We have to remember the most important thing about our Christian life. This is the most important thing. We have a new covenant. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And that covenant is a promise. And, and God has given us great and precious promises. When you became his child, you became part of his family. And when you became part of his family, all that he has belongs to you. All that God has belongs to you. You are his child. And you have his authority. You know, I told you this morning when I was shaving, or the other day when I was shaving, I saw the scar, and I, and I began to realize that, that there are times in my life I'm going to go through situations that are going to be hard for me, and they're going to leave scars on me. But I want you to know something. It is better to go through that with God than go by yourself. I would rather have scars than get eaten. Does that make sense? You're going to go into situations. Why not go into them with God? Ricky, do you have your badge? Can I borrow that real quick? I'm going to go pull some people over, and I want your badge. <laughs> I promise I'll give it back. I'm sure you'll make sure I do that. <laughs> this badge says, Chief of Police, Cherokee Village. It says, number one, Ricky, you're number one. That's cool. I knew you were. You're number one in my heart. <laughs> Let me tell you something. This badge, this badge represents Ricky's authority. He's the chief of police of Cherokee Village. But it doesn't just represent his authority as the chief of police of Cherokee Village. It also, he, behind this badge, is, is the authority of the county, of, of Sharp County. He's got all the Sharp County people behind him. And it's not just Sharp County. It's actually the whole state of Arkansas. He has all the law enforcement of Arkansas backs this badge. And not even that. More than that, he has all the authority of the legal system of the United States of America 
is represented in this badge. When you become a child of God, you're given one of these. And it's got your name on it. And it never goes away. And you're number one. That's what it says. It says you're number one. And that badge, it's like that, that's your salvation. But it's more than just your salvation. It's your authority. And when you understand, when you really get it, when you really begin to understand who you are in Christ, and not just who you are, but whose you are, when you struggle, when you encounter challenges in your life, you can look over at that badge and you go, you know what? I'm the chief of police. And I don't think I want to put up with this anymore. And God's word says that, that I'm his child. And God's word says that if I resist you, you have to flee. Not because of me, but because of God and his authority. So I would encourage you today, if you're struggling, if there's a challenge in your life, if there's something that you're facing, you need to understand that God is bigger than that. And he can help you. And you have the authority to stand up against the devil. You can struggle well because Jesus said, in this world you're going to have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. Get on God's side. Invite him in. Amen? Amen. Just share, Dwight, real quick. How many had bad times? How many went through some times that you just didn't think you were going to make it? How many, how many have gotten special verses or songs that you think of that pick you up? How many? Well, I'll tell you, if, if you had time, I would tell you some things that's happened in my life that have challenged Gala and I. And, and sometimes when you have time, you might get with one of us and we'll share but I have a special situation that picks me up when I get down. And we were, we were out in Marysville, California, singing at a church out there. And, and toward the middle end of the service, guy came up and said, Do you mind if we have a request that one of our guys sing it, if you don't care? So at the end of the service, it was time for Billy to come up and sing. And they brought, pushed Billy up. He was sitting in a wheelchair. And his arms and legs were drawn up, and he couldn't take care of himself. And they had a blanket over him, like they do, and said he was going to sing. And they wheeled him up to the front, and they got a microphone and held it up to his mouth. And I thought, oh, my, what are we going to have? And this is what Billy sang. And when I... When I have hard times and I'm going through a valley, this is what picks me up. God is so good to me. He is so good to me. God is so good. So 
this morning every head bowed and I closed the world's a tough place y'all and one of these days we won't be here anymore and we'll be with the Lord but he's called us to be here for now and whatever challenge you're going through if you're if you if this is for you today you say pastor that's me I need some help I'm dealing with these challenges I there's these giants in my life. There's these things I'm encountering. It doesn't matter what it is. I want you to know right now I'm going to open the altars up. And I'm just going to ask you to come. And we're going to agree with you in prayer. Prayer partners are going to come forward. And you're saying, I need help. I need somebody to just pray with me. I want you to understand something. God is not mad at you. God is not mad at you. He's not upset at you. God is not waiting to wonk you on the head with a stick because of mistakes that you've made. He loves you. Jesus died so that you could be free. And there are some of you here today who say, Pastor, that's me. I just need somebody to pray with me. And if that's you, just get up and come down to the altar. This is your time to meet with some people. If the prayer partners will come forward, we're going to have them come forward. And you just come down and you pray. Or if you're here today and you say, Pastor... The reality is, I, I've never even received Jesus as my Savior. I mean, I, just, I don't have a relationship with God. I've heard about God. I know who God is, but I, I don't know Him. I don't have a relationship with Him. If that's you, today is your day. Today is your day, and you just come down front. Or if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm a Christian, but I've walked away. My life's a mess. I've got some challenges. I, 
Or, or it, your life doesn't even have to be a mess. You just feel God tugging on your heart and saying it's time to come back home. He's not mad at you today. He just wants you to come back home. So if that's you today, we're just going to wait a minute. If you're struggling with something or you want to rededicate your heart or you just need somebody to agree with you in prayer about a challenge that you're facing, whatever the situation is, just come down. We're going to pray. Let's stay in prayer for a moment. Go out and just sing that again. Thank you, Jesus. God is so good to me. us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. And today, Father, I just pray that you'd speak to each heart. And Lord, I pray you'd speak to each of us and you'd call us to a closer walk with you. That Lord, that we would be all in with you. That we wouldn't just stick our toe in the water. But Lord, we would jump in. Your word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So Father, I pray that we would jump in. And we would taste and see. And I pray, Father, for those today that are, that are trying you out. Lord, I know that you love each one of us. And I pray that as they reach in, Father, you would reach out and you would just envelop them and, and love them and meet them at the point of their needs. Because you are good to us. You're good to us all the time. And I thank you for that, Father. Lord, I pray today as we leave this place that you would be with us. Lord, that you would touch lives and touch hearts, that as we leave this place, we realize we're walking into a hurting and broken world. The Lord, as we leave this place, there are people out there that don't know your love and they're broken and they're hurt. Father, help us to see with your eyes. And Father, help us to have your heart of compassion. And Lord, help us to be your hands and feet to a hurting and dying world. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. Hopefully see you tonight. If not, you guys have a great week.